Good morning, Grace. It is so good to see each and every one of you. I hope you have had a wonderful morning so far. Um, I know in my heart, even waking up as early as we did for sunrise service, in my heart something felt, something felt good. Because I think my heart knew that our Savior lives. Amen. He is risen. He is risen. Scripture reading today is in the book of Romans, chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We are going to be beginning our reading in verse 4 of chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously for all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this day you've given us. Lord, for an opportunity to experience the joy that comes from your defeat of the grave and your defeat of death. Lord, we thank you so much for just this opportunity to come and fellowship with one another. Lord, to just sit in the same room with our brothers and sisters in Christ who, do, who only just want to praise your name this morning, Lord. What a blessing it is. Lord, we thank you for uh, watching over each and every one of us, but we do pray for all of our members who aren't here today, Lord, who, who are unable to make it here for sickness reasons, Lord, for injury reasons, for whatever reason it might be, Lord, we just ask that you draw near to them today, Lord, that you would bless them with your presence as well. Lord, we pray for the rest of this service, Lord, that it would be used as a testament to who you are. Lord, that we would be blessed in our hearts and in our minds by what we would hear today. Lord, I ask that you go with us, that you would make us attentive to what you would need us to hear. Lord, that so we may strengthen our relationship with you, or Lord, that we may even find you for the first time today. Lord, we praise you and we thank you, and, and all we say and do, in Jesus' name, amen. I would dare say that the passage that... Pastor Steve read this morning is not normally one of those passages that you go to on resurrection morning. And in fact, there are more than just that passage that frequently throughout Paul's epistles that he makes reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are other places also in the scriptures. You go back to the book of Psalm chapter 16 and verse 10, where it's highlighted, thou dost not leave my soul in hell. 
And then you travel to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then even Peter got in the act when they declared the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They weren't to be used, if you will, just in intermittently. They literally became creeds of the early church. The same individuals in the first century of the church that would utter that Jesus is Lord would have also been taken to the flame and been killed because of the surrounding community that they were in. I want to draw your attention, you don't need to turn there, but I want to draw your attention to an interesting statement in John's Gospel, chapter 19, when Pilate, over top of the cross of Jesus, had these words inscribed, the king of the Jews. Not only were those words inscribed, but they were inscribed in three different languages. In John chapter 19 and verse 22, it says that it was inscribed in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. It's interesting that Pilate recognized that Rome and Jerusalem and all of the Roman Empire was comprised of different nationalities, of different understandings, of different culture, different customs. What he didn't know is that in all three of those languages, he is proclaiming the exact same thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Now, if you can picture yourself as a Christian in the first century church, and you find yourself in amongst a community of Greeks, the terminology, Jesus is Lord, would have a different meaning in that culture. If you found yourself in a group of Hebrews, Jewish people, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, takes on a whole different meaning. And then if you were a Christian and you found yourself surrounded by Romans, there too, The phrase, Jesus is Lord, meant a totally different genre than what we would even begin to understand. But what is interesting is the Apostle Paul picks that up in Romans chapter 10 because the book of Romans is written to this culture. And when he makes that statement that Jesus is Lord, he instantly ties it together with the resurrection. Did you catch that in in Romans chapter 10? And in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
I want to walk you through those different cultures, if I can, and try to bring to the table this, this morning the differences of that phrase, Jesus is Lord, and how that relates to those cultures. I'll take that as an amen. <laughs> Let's first begin with the fact that if we're in the Greek culture, the Greeks had, if you will, an interesting hierarchy of gods, small g. They had gods that were supposed to be living on top of a mountain where they were in control of all of life and you had nothing to do with it. There would be a phrase that would be, that would be caught and also spread around that it would go something like this. If something bad happened in your life, the gods were angry with you. If something good happened in life, the gods were happy with you. But the Greeks worshiped gods that were nothing more than exalted human beings. In their culture, they believed that the gods, all the gods would die once a year and then interestingly come back to life again in that year. They weren't eternal. They weren't as powerful as what everyone thought. So disgusted with them is that there was a time when the worship of those false gods began to fade away and they began to grasp hold what is called the mysterious or the mystery religion. The mystery religion was one that was supposed to keep them from the clutches of the providence of darkness and demonic activity. They looked for something that they could quote the fact that they are being saved or they're being kept from the clutches of evil. And so when we come to this phrase, Jesus is Lord to the Greeks, the Apostle Paul literally saying, the risen Jesus saves. He is the one. He is the only one whereby you can have freedom from the power of dominion of darkness. For he conquered the grave. That's why Jesus is Lord and the resurrection cannot be separated. They belong together. In fact, the resurrection is the ultimate proof by God to prove that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the one. He is the only. And when the Apostle Paul is sharing that and the Greeks read that, all of a sudden they begin to rationalize in their inner being. Is this a possibility that I truly can be kept 
from the forces of darkness. Is he the one? This Jesus, is he the one? We've seen him. We've watched him. He's the one who was able to say to individuals, thy faith has made you whole. He's the one at one time were able to feed a group of about 15,000 people with two fish and five loaves. Uh, He's the one who they heard stories about him raising the dead, about healing the sick. Could it be that he is the one who saves? He must be Lord. Forget Lord Zeus. Forget Lord Mercury. Forget goddess or gods. The Apostle Paul makes a resounding statement when he says, Jesus is Lord. Literally meaning, he is the one who saves. When you come to the Romans, you find yourself in a culture of worship of Caesar. Caesar was established literally as being Lord of the Roman Empire. He was to be worshipped. He was to be appeased. He was to be feared. For anyone who would not bow to the Roman Caesar would have been put to death. Let me read for you just a paragraph about the, one of the first century believer people by the name of Polycarp. It says, probably the most famous example of the conflict between the church and Rome is found not within the pages of the New Testament, but rather in the subsequent martyrdom of Polycarp the bishop of Smyrna. At his trial, the Roman consul sought to persuade Polycarp to worship Caesar as Lord, but Polycarp refused. The Roman consul pleaded with Polycarp to change his mind. Why, he said, What harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and sacrificing the rest of it and so saving yourself? Swear by the divinity of Caesar. Swear and I release you. Curse Christ. But Polycarp replied, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme the king who saved me? The phrase, Jesus is Lord to the Romans, meant that Jesus Christ 
is first. Not Caesar. Not any other God. But he is first. I kind of wonder if later on the Apostle Paul and Philippians chapter 2 may very well have had this thought when he penned the words, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, both in heaven and on earth. Now get this, even under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's first. Not man. He's first. To the Hebrew culture, to the Jews, there was a huge problem. The use of the term Jesus is Lord to the Jewish culture was literally saying this risen Jesus is divine. He's God. The Jews had a custom that as they would read from the Torah, when they would come to the name God, meaning Yahweh, that name was given, God gave that name to himself as he met with Moses in in Exodus chapter 2 at the burning bush when Moses asked him the question, Whom shall I say has sent me? God says, I am that I am has sent you. That phrase in the Hebrew, I am that I am, is translated Yahweh. But the Hebrews would never phrase, they would never speak the name, for they thought it was that holy, and so they would substitute it with Lord. And so when the Apostle Paul writing in the book of Romans, makes the statement that Jesus is Lord to the Jews, that meant he's God. Which, by the way, we already know. For it was at his birth in Matthew chapter 1, where the angel Gabriel came to Joseph in a dream, And he said, fear not to take unto you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. Emmanuel, which means God with us. It was so established that you might remember after the crucifixion and the resurrection, by the way, he is risen. He is risen when, when doubting Thomas, bless his heart, I, I think he's been labeled wrongly. I don't think he doubted. He just wanted proof. 
And when Jesus showed up in the upper room where all the other disciples were scared to death. And after Jesus spoke to Thomas, he said, boy, come here. That's Hebrew for, or I mean, that's English for the Hebrew. Behold my hands. <laughs> Behold my side. Look at my feet. Come here, boy. Put your hand, finger in my hands. Thrust your hand in my side. And when Thomas saw that, he said, my Lord and my God. So in the Jewish culture, when Paul says Jesus is Lord, he is God. He is the incarnate, visible evidence of who God is. Remember in John 14, they're in the upper room. And one of the disciples asks, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm he. And as Jesus stood before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he made this startling statement when he said, before Abraham was, I am. In that phrase, he is claiming his deity. And now we come to this phrase. Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But I'm glad it doesn't stop there. I'm glad the Apostle Paul didn't put a period and go on to chapter 11. Well, chapters weren't part of Paul's deal anyway. That came later as people got the word of God and sort of divided it up. And there are some areas they made big mistakes, but that's okay. We understand. But Paul goes on to say these glorious words. Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Greek, Roman, Hebrew, Herdenonians, Gentiles, he who believes in him will not be put to shame. How do you know that, Paul? He finishes this wonderful paragraph by stating a verse that all of you know very well. That whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Why don't you think Paul put in there, whosoever calls on the name of Jesus? He just finished telling you. If you are Greek, he's the one who saves. 
If you are Roman, he is first. If you are Hebrew, he is God. That whosoever calls upon him will be saved. I ask you this question. Who is Jesus to you today? Is he, in your estimation, the only one who can save? He's the only one who has the words of life. Peter, when, when Jesus turned around and saw the multitude following him, he knew that they wanted to put him as king. They were looking for a free meal. And Jesus turned to them and said, anyone who does not pick up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's a crushing next sentence for it says, many left him. Then he turns to his disciples and he says, will you also leave? Peter, bless his heart, said, we have no other place to go. For you are the one who has the words of life. Nobody else. Don't go seeking Confucius, Muhammad, New Age thinkers. Don't go seeking for them. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save. Do you know him? Or maybe you're struggling with other things in your life. And the Apostle Paul, he, he got to you. He says, is he first? Is he first? Maybe you've misplaced him in the aspect of your life. In the divine order that God gives to us in his word, maybe you've substituted something over top of him in order to find true happiness. But I'm here to tell you the things of this world that try to replace the wonder and glory of our Savior fade away. And Jesus is still first, he's still the king. He is the sovereign Lord. Let me let you in on a little secret. He still calls the shots. It was cold this morning at 6.30. My feet are just starting to warm up. But I'm so glad that God designed it. That there was a bird known as a killdeer. Some of you know who they are, what they are. When I'm mowing up there, I usually get chased by them. That mama and papa killed deers. They didn't want us there. But when we started singing the praises of the Savior, they went, Whew. they were quiet. I'm glad God designed that. He said, bird, stop. They're not going to hurt you. 
until my son went up there with his pink sneakers and <laughs> got them all riled up again. That, those birds had a lot of truth. You went in the wrong closet, boy. He's first. Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus, is first. He saves. And he's God. That's why the Apostle Paul could pen those words. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know him? Do you realize or do you remember a day of when you came before Jesus and you faced the reality of the truth that you're lost without him? There is a sin debt that must be paid and you have a choice. You can either fall on the one who has already paid it or you can try to pay it yourself. But I'm here to tell you that the wages of sin is death, not life. But whosoever caused on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never placed your trust, if you've never, as the text says, believe. If you've never believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ as your only hope for eternal life, I can't think of a better day to do it than today. For today is a day of salvation. You have no idea about tomorrow. Have you trusted him? Can I have every head bow and every eye closed, please? No one looking around. This is a serious time. If, if you're here this morning and you're wondering, is this passage speaking to me? You mean to tell me, Pastor Doug, all I have to do is ask? Yes. That's all. Maybe you might, if you've never trusted Christ, if you can't remember if you've ever trusted Christ, and you would like to do that this morning, I'm going to just say these words from your heart. Lord, I believe that you are the one who saves. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe in your promise that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. Now that's what I want, Lord. Save me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's maybe... The first time you prayed that, I just want to ask you to do something. 
If you recited that, that was between you and the Lord, from your heart to the Lord. If that's what you recited this morning, I want to pray for you. I, I, I would love to talk to you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? Just lift your hand and say, yes, Pastor Doug, that's the first time I ever said that prayer. Is there anyone here this morning? Then, believer person, let me ask you. Jesus is Lord. He's first. Have you replaced him from that position? Sometimes we, we call that rededication. I, I like to call it just being real. And maybe there's something that has crowded Jesus out. And you want him back. Just say these words, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for allowing other things to take your place. I confess that. And I ask the Lord God that you would come and take over the place that is yours. Believer person, if there's anyone here this morning that, that said that prayer, then I want to ask that maybe right where you are, just lift your hand to Christ as a witness. Just say, Lord, here I am. I want you back in first place. Amen. Thank the Lord. Is there any others? So, dear God, I thank you this morning. I thank you that you've met us here. You are Lord. You are Lord of all that there is. The universe, this earth, all of the stars that we can see at night, even those killdeers that tried to chase us away, you are Lord. And how we praise you and we thank you for your redeeming power and your saving word that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. Amen.